Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Welcome to Round Hill Radio. I'm Leslie. And I'm Ed. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Leslie. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. Good. So we are recapping our uh, whole series we've been doing on grace, sort of what do we learn, what are we doing going forward, all that good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So what started this whole idea for you of talking about grace? Well, you know, the world, just the state of the world seemed to call for it. <laughs> Can we get a little grace? Mm-hmm. Just a smidge of grace? Can possibly imagine what you mean. <laughs> oh, my goodness, you know. Um, so two, two sources for this. Uh, first of all, the Bible. Uh, there's a great story about Jesus. We don't really have any stories of him, you know, from his childhood or teenage years, just a couple of references. But, but one of them does take place in the Gospel according to Luke, or it's included in the Gospel of Luke. And um, so it, basically what it says is that we are told that he increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favors. So that word favor can mean a kind of graciousness. And I love that little line. It's like all we get is that one line, but it's a good line because it says that he grew in grace and grew with grace. So, you know, I take that to mean that he received love and he grew up, he matured, and he had a really great foundation. And I guess the other thing that I think about is that when he was baptized, he also experienced a profound moment of grace where he comes up out of the water, you know, the water's streaming away from him. And he has this beautiful vision of a peaceful dove, you know, coming into his direction. And he hears this beautiful voice, you know, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And if that's not grace, I don't know what is. And so I think part of it, part of it started there. And, uh, and also, I'm a great fan of Serene Jones, who is the president of Union Theological Seminary, and she's been a guest in the past. And she wrote a book fairly recently about her life, and the title is Call It Grace, Finding Meaning in a Fractured World. So I think that's what, that's what got us going. And I, I just think, Leslie, we have to keep finding meaning in a fractured world. Absolutely. We, one of our wonderful listeners actually sent us a note last week uh, saying that grace can be all around us if we're open to it. Mm. And I loved that thought. And thank you so much for writing in. And it just, it really, really made my day. And that idea that, that, that this, this thing can exist around us all the time. And if our hearts are open and our eyes are open and our ears are open, Mm -hmm. we can, we can perceive it. But sometimes when we shut ourselves off, we're missing these moments of grace. Yeah. You know, when I look at the sort of the totality of the ministry of Jesus, at least as we have it passed along to us in these four gospel accounts in the New Testament, it seems that so much of what he was trying to do was to open people's eyes Mm -hmm. and, you know, to see the, the miracle and the wonder of life. And I'm also thinking that he was doing that for people who lived very difficult lives and were deeply impoverished, were overburdened with taxes, faced all kinds of health problems. So he reached out to those people, uh, especially those people with good news, as if to say, if if we can look around us, 
um, there are all kinds of ways of perhaps seeing the, you know, the life and activity of God. Um, Serene Jones actually writes in her book, <clears throat> when she was asked the question of where she sees grace in the world, she says, I most see this power, love, and goodness when I feel grace from others. So I think it's in those moments when we have been received so graciously by someone else. And she said, when I am graced by kindness, humor, creativity, striving, and compassion. And, and her point is that all of those become signs that point her to this great mystery of God and the graciousness that goes along with God. So, uh, so I think the one person who wrote in really has an important point, right? We're, we're trying to keep our eyes open all the time. Absolutely. But not all of the characters of the Bible are, are, are were particularly gracious. No. And we looked at one of those a couple of weeks ago. Who was that? Yeah, we, we just, you know, I couldn't help but think about the biblical prophet Jonah. <laughs> what a sourpuss, you know, just someone who was, it, it didn't matter if grace was going to hit him squarely in the face. He just didn't <laughs> want any part of it. And I love his little story, and, and his his story is so important to Judaism. The book of Jonah is read every year at Yom Kippur, one of the holy days of you know the Jewish year. And uh, Jonah was given a, a task. The task was to go to the city of Nineveh, which was the capital of the ancient superpower Assyria, and bring a message of good news. And he said, no, thank you very much. I don't want any part of that. <laughs> Absolutely ran the other direction. But God kept bringing him back, you know, to get the job done. And, and the thing about this story that's so instructive for me is that he, he didn't, he clearly did not believe in grace for the Ninevites. So, you know, I think all of us may have this struggle from time to time where we draw the circle of grace around us only to include some people and not others. And uh, at least it's a challenge that I would say I have. And so for sure, here's, Me too. You're right. Here's this prophet. He doesn't want any part of the Ninevites. They are outside <laughs> his circle. And God keeps saying, no, you got to draw the circle wider. Oh, I should have scheduled that piece of music. I deliberately quoted it right now. I was inspired oh, to do so oh. because I knew you had done that. But I'm I, sorry, Mark Miller. I'll do it again later. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a great song, though? Oh, and so good. You know, actually, it was only thinking about Jonah that made me think about that notion of drawing the circle wider to admit more and more people into it. And the funny, well, I guess it's not funny, but the thing about Jonah is that even when he does draw the circle wider because God tells him to, and all the Ninevites say, we're sorry, we get it. You know, we're going to change our lives. He's like, darn it all. I knew this would happen. You know, I, I'd give you a chance and you'd take it. And he gets mad at God and... And it's the only book of the Bible that ends with a question. And, you know, which is, shouldn't I care about the Ninevites too? I mean, it's really an incredible question. And so you're absolutely right there. Jonah is at least one example of a biblical character who never, you know, never voted yes for mercy. <laughs> and, and yet somehow, despite all of that, became a messenger of mercy. The, yeah. the reluctant prophet, I like to call him. For sure. And I, I, he just strikes me as the kind of guy who would like stick his fingers in his ears and just be like, la la, I can't hear you. I can't, what? Mm -mm. Nope, I can't hear you. <laughs> just like the most comical, you know, that I can't see you, you can't see me kind of a, a, a character. He just did everything he could to avoid it. It cracks too, me up. Too true. You know, I'm so glad you're laughing at this story because. <laughs> 
I had a wonderful teacher in seminary by the name of George Landis, and he was fascinated by the book of Jonah, spent his whole adult life studying this little book. But he really said, you know, it's, it, it is at least intended maybe partly as a comedy. It, it, people are supposed to read this thing and think, oh my gosh, what a character is this guy? You know, I mean, <laughs> and like, and then despite himself, he's incredibly successful. <laughs> so, right. Um, so I think there is a humorous strain in that in that story, even though there's seriousness too. But again, it's a, it's a story that challenges us. How how widely are we going to draw the circle of our care and our love? Really important. Absolutely. And so then the last week we wrap up with the woman with the alabaster jar, which always makes you think of the girl with the pearl earring <laughs> every time. <laughs> I hope she's going to get her own novel someday. You know, Absolutely. Or at least, a, at least a painting. <laughs> at least a painting. Absolutely. You know, I can see it on the bestsellers list. Look at that. The woman with the alabaster jar. It's 57 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, you know? Let's do it. Let's do, I think you should write it. <laughs> In my downtime. Yeah, all, all that free time you have, yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's such a beautiful story because unlike Jonah, you know, here's, here's this woman who meets Jesus and Jesus is in this uh, town of Bethany. He's there visiting friends. And uh, he is suddenly... Um, I guess I would say almost overwhelmed by this woman with this extraordinary gift. So she has this alabaster jar of ointment and it's clearly very precious and expensive. And she just dumps the whole thing on him. I mean, doesn't hold back anything. And I just think here's a, here's a person who has seen Jesus. He's coming near to the end of his life by this time. So maybe she's picked up some of those overtones she clearly cares very deeply about him. Um, it, it's it's a story of compassion and attentiveness. You know, she massages this oil, I think, into his hair. And it's very, very moving in, in a lot of ways. The disciples become irate. They're like the Jonah of the story. You know, it's like, what waste? You could have purchased 300 meals, you know, with this with this single jar of ointment. And Jesus really resists that. He tells them very clearly, you know, you you will not always have me with you. And then he says this great line, uh, she has performed a good service for me. Truly, I tell you, wherever this good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. And he doesn't say anything quite like that about anyone else. So he was very moved by the experience. It meant something very powerful to him. And he told the disciples basically back off and chill out. Uh, so and I, I guess they did. Um, but you know, Leslie, I found a little quotation that I think is connected with the story. It's from the writer E.B. White. And uh, he said at one point, I arise in the morning torn between a desire to improve the world and a desire to enjoy the world. This makes it hard to plan the day. <laughs> <laughs> Love that little quotation. And I, I think that the disciples are on the side of, we're all about improving the world. Mm -hmm. And the woman with the alabaster jar said, you know, this might be a good time to enjoy the world. And what I'd really love to do is to bring these two forces together. So we don't you know, have E.B. White's problem. It's a hard time to plan the day because you have to make a choice. Mm -hmm. Don't make a choice. Keep them Both all and. and maybe that's grace. Maybe that's really the heart of grace, that you find something so beautiful 
that you can give. It could be to another individual or to a bigger cause, but you're improving the world and enjoying it at the same time. That would be really fantastic. Yeah. And I think to talk back to speak back to the last story we were talking about, there's an element too of not taking it all so seriously. Mm. Uh, you know, I th- sometimes I feel like the the disciples got a little overly serious and maybe took themselves a little seriously. And yeah. I feel like there were some stories that came along that kind of reminded them that the world is a, that they weren't that so, you know, everything wasn't so huge and important. Obviously there was huge, important things happening. Yes. These little moments that kind of brought them back, brought their egos in a little bit. I think that's absolutely right. That's a great point. And I think mother nature has been doing this a little bit during the month of February, you know, for the last <laughs> few years, we haven't had a lot of snow no. and suddenly, hello, winter came knocking at our door. And I have to say that I was a, a grudging, you know, a, a grudging accomplice to this beauty. Um, but I had to admit uh, during one of the recent storms, you know, as I walked out in it with one of our dogs late at night, it was beautiful. Yeah. And it, to me, it suggested grace right in the heart of winter. And winter can be a hard time, but there's grace and beauty God is no less present in winter than in summer. And so the the challenge is to open our eyes, I think, as you said earlier, and to see that. And so uh, we're getting we're getting that challenge these days. But but these ancient stories can help us, I think, to move beyond ourselves, small circle of love into a wider circle of love. I love that. Can I ask you a slightly pedantic question? Sure. Of the the ointment she had in the jar. What was the use of that? Was it like, because I remember, this is a very strange reference, um, but when I was a kid, I went to museum camp um, and we, I was I was probably like eight or nine and we there was a whole section on um, the first Olympics and how yeah. athletes would use oil. Yes. So basically, like, it was like a shower. So you mm-hmm. like, you get dirty and then you put the oil on or you put the oil on and then you get dirty and then you can just like scrape it off. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, that's what came to mind when we were, you were, when you were telling the story and I've been dying to ask you about that. <laughs> of it, is, it, is it like a scent thing? Is it an anointing thing? Is it a really an interesting cleaning thing? Like what, what was its purpose? It's a great question. You know, I think it's more the first two. It's a fragrance, which in a sense is meant to make things smell better in a world where things maybe didn't always smell so great. <laughs> so that's that's part of it. And I think the understanding, by the way, is that some of these fragrances, ointments, spices, and so on, you know, they came from very far away, maybe even, you know, from India. And so they were very, very special and expensive and obviously took a long time through trade routes to come to where Jesus lived, mm-hmm. wherever wherever it was that they originated. So I think part of it's the fragrance. I think in this story also, it does carry the connotation of an ointment that's used or an anointment, an anointing that's used when someone is ill or after death. Mm-hmm. And of course... The close women friends, uh, female friends of Jesus go to his tomb following his death because they want to further anoint the body. And um, so that's, I think that's part of what this background is. And, and 
in this sense, I get, I also get the sense it's intended to be pleasurable, you know, that mm -hmm. she uses this as a kind of massage ointment for him. So it probably carries several of those meanings all together. And that's what's made the story so powerful. Yeah, it's a great so question. Yeah, that's so interesting. So as we're wrapping up this series on grace, do you have a final thought for us? Well, I just love this phrase that we've been toying around with, you know, about what it means to grow with grace. And I guess the one thing I want to say is that uh, grace is about how we treat ourselves. It's also about how we treat and regard other people and how we give the space to be loved, or, you know, to be loved by God, to open ourselves to that. So my hope is going forward that we would uh, be anointed by grace in all of those ways. Well, thank you, Ed. I appreciate your time today. Thank you, Leslie. Thanks for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Round Hill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillcommunitychurch.org.